You remember the story of Goldilocks and the Three Bears? You remember that story? It's the story of a little girl who breaks into other people's homes, steals a bunch of their stuff, and destroys their property. At least that's sort of the way I remember the, the story, how it goes. I mean, it's quite the tale to tell little kids right before they go off to bed. I mean, when they're young and impressionable, that's the type of story you want to tell them, right? Okay, maybe, uh, maybe you remember it a little bit different. Maybe you remember the story. It's this little girl. She goes into the house of these three bears, and she, like, discovers that there's some porridge there on the kitchen table. And the first bowl that she tries, it's too hot. The, the second bowl she tries, it's too cold. But the third one is what? It's just, it's just right. And then she tries out three different chairs. And the third chair turns out to be just right. Tired from all of her theft and larceny and, and various, you know, destruction that's going on. She goes into the upstairs. She gets into some beds. But the first one is too hard, and then the second one is too soft, but the third one turns out to be just right. Now the three bears, they end up showing up at the house, and they want to eat the little girl. They want to kill her, but the, the little felon gets off scot-free. You know, At least, again, that's the way I remember the, the story going. You see why I'm not a children's pastor? <laughs> but you know, really, the, the, the moral of the story is, is, is this, that we want things to be just right. We want our life to be just right. We want our food to be the perfect temperature. We want our, our furniture to be perfectly comfortable. We want things to be just right. The, the perfect balance of, of work and, and play. We want things to be just right in our, our finances and our relationships with our emotions. We want just the, the right amount of risk with the right amount of caution as well. We want this sort of perfect balance where there's no extremes. We want to find sort of a, a sweet spot for life. Now, that term sweet spot, you often hear that when it comes to like sports. That there's a sweet spot on a tennis racket or on a baseball bat or a golf club. There's this one little spot that if the ball hits right off of that sweet spot, you're going to have the, the maximum velocity. You're going to have the most precise control that you can possibly have. And what we need to understand is that with God, it's the same way. God has a sweet spot for our lives. He wants you living in that sweet spot. A place that has purpose and clarity, not chaos. He, he wants you to, to live not too fast, but also not too slow either. He wants you to live a life where you're not just pursuing you know, a bigger house and a fancier car, but yet he doesn't want you living in a cardboard box either. He wants you to find that perfect balance right in the middle. A place of contentment. And so today what we're doing is we're starting a brand new series called The Prayer of Augur. And it's based off of Proverbs chapter 30. So if you got a Bible you want to turn to Proverbs chapter 30, that's where we're going to hang out here today. I do want to welcome those of you that are watching online with us. You notice in the upper right-hand corner of your screen right now, there's a little button there. It's called Talk Notes. If you'll push that, that's going to take you to all the scriptures we're going to look at today, as well as all the points I'm going to be making as well. For those of you live in the room, you can get out your smartphone or your tablet. You can go to our website, exponential.church. And you can get the access to the talk notes there as well. Now, a little bit of context as we're turning to Proverbs chapter 30. The Old Testament book of Proverbs is so wonderful. It, it's also called the, the book of wisdom or the, the, the book of knowledge. And it's got all these wise sayings. Now, the first 29 chapters of Proverbs are written by a guy you've heard of before. His name's King Solomon. King Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived. And so he's just given like all these like little one-liners of how to live a wise life. So that's the first 29 chapters. 
Chapter 31, then, is written by King Lemuel. Now, ladies, if you have ever been in a women's Bible study, you've ever gone to a women's conference, you're familiar with Proverbs 31. Because what King Lemuel writes about there is about how to be a wife of noble character. And you'll hear this, this thing of, that you know, ladies, you want to be a Proverbs 31 lady. And so you're probably familiar with that as well. What you're not as familiar with is Proverbs chapter 30. And it's written by this guy. His name is Agar. Or Agar. Again, have you ever heard of this guy before? Now, a lot of people in the room here are shaking your heads. I'm sure those of you online, you're, you're going, I, I don't know who that is. But you know what? That actually encourages me. Because, look, you've heard of David, you've heard of Moses, you've heard of Peter and Paul. You're like, of course, their writings are found in God's Word. But isn't it encouraging to you and I that this guy named Augur, who we've never even heard of, his writings made it in here as well. Which means you don't have to be famous. Nobody ever has to know your name in order for you to make a difference for God's kingdom. And so he's going to write some very, very wise things just like the other writers here in Proverbs did. Now, Augur himself, uh, he sort of reminds me a little bit of Jerry Seinfeld. Seinfeld's one of my favorite comedians. And one of the reasons I like Jerry Seinfeld is he, he does what's called observational humor. If you've ever seen Seinfeld do a set, he's like, have you ever noticed? Did you see this? Have you ever thought about... And then he, he'll just make observational comments, but done in a humorous way. And, and Augur, he, he does sort of the same thing. He's going to make a lot of observations about what's going on. And he's going to just intersperse a little bit of humor. He's going to intersperse a little self-reflection, some humility that's in it. But then he's also going to give us a lot of wise things as well. Now his name, Augur, actually means collector. That's, that's what the name means. And what we're going to discover is Augur, he's a collector of lists. And so as you read through Proverbs 30, he has a list for everything. He's going to talk about bad habits, don't slander your co-workers, don't dishonor your parents, don't judge others, don't look down on the less fortunate. Of the 33 total verses that he writes, the last half, again, is sort of more of this observational uh, types of things of, hey, have you ever wondered about, have you ever noticed this type of thing that's going on? And he does this in lists of four. And so he gives four things on the earth that are never, ever satisfied. Four things he says that I'll never understand. Four mistakes that every human makes. Four things which are small, but yet are very, very wise. So for example, that when he gives the ant, he says, look, the, the ant, it's, it's very, very small, but it's wise because it stores up all of its food during the summer for the long winter that's ahead. Uh, and then he talks about the, the four things that will be the downfall of any king, no matter how powerful that king happens to be. And so there's all this kind of stuff in there. Now, here's another cool thing. I shared with you that in the Old Testament, there are 333 specific prophecies about the coming Messiah. Of course, the coming Messiah ultimately ends up being Jesus. So 333 very specific things about who Jesus would be and what he would do and, and, and where he would live and how he would die and when he would die and how he'd be betrayed. All these things are in there. Written, you know, some of them thousands of years before Jesus even came on the scene. What's interesting, though, is Augur is one of the very few prophecies where he says not only is the Messiah coming, but the Messiah is actually going to be 
the very son of God. So not only is Agur very, very uh, humorous and very, very wise, but he's also a prophet as well. So this, this whole chapter, it's very, very fascinating, but I think the thing that makes it stand out the most, and I read a little book on this, and that's what we're basing the series off of, but what makes it stand out the most is he writes the only prayer in all of Proverbs. And that's what we're going to look at both this week and next week as well. So let's go ahead and look at it here in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 7. Here's what he says, Oh God, there are two things I ask of you. Please don't deny me of them before I die. Now, before we go any further, let me ask you a question. If you could ask God uh, just two things, what would they be? And, and here's the deal. We, we, should be, we should be praying about anything and everything, right? All, all the time we should be praying because prayer is a part of having a relationship with God. But if there was just like two things you could narrow it down to, what are the two things that you would pray for? I wonder what it would be. Now, I know a lot of people that go, I would pray, God, help me to always be happy. But be careful what you pray for because God may just put you along with six other dwarfs and you'll work in a cave all your life, right? You know. All right, some of you got it. Others of you are still thinking about it. Happy, right? Make me happy. No, anyway. I, I'm, I'm joking there, but isn't that true that most people, they go, God, make me happy and make me rich. Right? We think that those are, those are the two things. If I could just have a lot of money and I could just be happy, then things would all be good. But is that really what life is all about? Is that the sweet spot that God would have for us to live in? What's interesting is, Augur, he doesn't ask for happiness. He doesn't ask for wealth. He doesn't ask for health even. You know what he asks for? He asks for the two things which he struggles most with in life. Let's continue on. In the first part of verse 8, he says, First, keep deception and lies far from me. What he's saying is, Lord, the truth matters. And so help me from being deceived by others. Help me not to, to buy into conspiracy theories. And God, help me not to like speak lies and, and, and deceive other people. He's like, man, I, I want to keep far from that. I think he's thinking back to what happens in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. What happens? First of all, they're deceived by Satan. They buy into the, the lie that Satan is telling them. And then what do they do after they're deceived? They begin to lie to try to cover it all up. Now, I bring all that up because I have been shocked in the last five to ten years, as I've seen people, even some people that I know, that call themselves followers of Jesus that are buying into all kinds of conspiracy theories. All kinds of lies that the world is trying to tell us. Listen, just because you read it on the internet does not mean that it's true. If something sounds outlandish, before you click share, before you retweet it, before you comment on it, you need to do some more research because the truth matters. It really, really does. You know, in marriage counseling, I always tell couples, I'm like, look, there are two sides to every story. Three, though, if you include the truth. See, what I find in marriage counseling is the guy, he says one thing over here. 
And she's saying something over here. And what I often discover is the truth is actually somewhere in the middle. Two sides to every story, three if you include the truth. And what we need to understand is this is everywhere now. It's in politics. It's in like uh, people's opinions that they have. It's in economics. It's in the climate change, race relations, COVID, you name it. Everybody has an opinion about everything. There are opinions over here and there's opinions over there. And most of the time, the truth lies somewhere in the middle. And that's why I've told you in the past, and this especially is true when it comes to, to politics, I recommend that you go to a website. It's called Real Clear Politics. It's free, realclearpolitics.com. And what they do is they're an aggregator of articles, articles from the far left, articles from the far right, and then even some that are in the middle. And what you're going to be able to do is you're going to be able to read articles that are going to be like really in this position over here and then ones that are really in the position over here. And what you discover is most of the time the truth is somewhere in the middle. Because here's what you need to understand. Whether it's Fox News, MSNBC, CNN, the New York Times, Breitbart, ON, no matter what your favorite news source is, their job is to get you to click. Their job is to get your eyeballs watching. And so that's why the more outlandish the headline is, the more extreme the position is, the more likely you are to engage with their content. You see, to them, it's all about profit. They don't want to unite us. The media wants to keep us divided because unity doesn't sell. Unity doesn't get clicks. Unity doesn't get people watching, which means if you're not watching, they don't get the advertising dollars. And so what they want to do is, is keep us divided against one another. They want to keep us living in fear. Because again, fear is something that people are like, oh, I need to do something about it. Oh, I better read what the quote-unquote experts have to say about this. The fear of feeling our division has been created, it's been cultivated, and it's been stoked by those who benefit the most from it. Fear is profitable. And the media companies, again, including your favorite media company, they want you to engage with their content. They know the more fearful they can keep you, the more divided you are, the more revenue they're going to make. And so that's why it's so important that not only are we seeing a balance in what we're consuming content from media, but there's even something greater that we need to have. And so I put it on your outline this way. I must start reading the news through the filter of the Bible instead of reading the Bible through the filter of the news. Let me say that again. I must start reading the news through the filter of the Bible instead of reading the Bible through the filter of the news. Everything that you hear, everything that you read should be filtered through, okay, what does God's Word have to say about that? Everything that happens in the news, every politician, you should go, you know what, how does that impact God's kingdom? Every event that happens, every position or policy that somebody takes, you should be asking, okay, what does that mean for us as followers of Jesus? How does that help us to fulfill our mission of making disciples who make disciples who make disciples who in turn make more disciples? 
So many of you are allowing the news to dictate what you believe and what your faith is. You're allowing politicians and, and people on the TV to dictate what your faith is. You're allowing people on Twitter and other social media platforms to, to sort of shape what your faith is. No, your faith is shaped by God's Word. And then what God's Word says, then that's how you now interact with the world. That impacts then how you vote and what you believe in. It's not the other way around. We have got to filter everything through God's Word first. You see, Augur, he understood in his day something Jesus would later say. And that is that the truth will set you free. The truth is going to set us free because what we need to understand today is that the truth is not a concept. Truth is a person. Truth is Jesus. Jesus is the one that said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. So it's not Jesus and Buddha, Jesus and Muhammad, Jesus and Confucius, Jesus and your opinion. Jesus says he is the only way, and we have got to trust his word. Everything must be filtered through his word. And so that's why it's so important that you're not just reading the Bible every day, but you're actually reading about Jesus every day. Yes, do all your little devotional booklets and maybe read a proverb a day. Continue to do all those things. But make sure you're reading about Jesus every single day because the more you read about Jesus, the more you're going to get to know Jesus. And the more you get to know Jesus, the more of the truth you're truly going to start to understand. And it's not just going to be truth about yourself and him. It's going to be truth about the world and how the world is operating. And you'll know, okay, how do I find my sweet spot? How do I live right in the will of God and what he has for me to do. So that's the first part of Augur's prayer. Is God, keep me from the deceptions of the world and keep me from lying and deceiving others. Now the second part of his prayer is something you very rarely ever hear somebody pray for. Let's look at it together. It's the second part of verse 8. He says, second, give me neither poverty nor riches, but only just enough to satisfy my needs. What he's praying for here is moderation. He says, don't give me too little, don't give me too much, but give me what is just right. It's the Goldilocks principle. It's what we talked about earlier. Give me what is just right. We can't live at extremes, but yet that's what most people are doing, living at extremes, especially Americans. We tend to live at the extreme that says, Get more, have more, be more. Just keep going and going and going and going. Get the bigger house, get the fancier car, get more closet space, more of this and that, the latest iPhone. I mean, get it all. So we live at that extreme. Now there are some people, and it's actually becoming more and more of a trend now, called minimalists. They're saying, no, 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 get rid of it all. You don't need more than a change or two of clothing. Sell all your possessions and goods, move into a tiny home, or even better, just live off the grid. Get away from everybody. Get away from everything. Grow all your own stuff and just live by yourself. Minimize everything. But Augur isn't, he isn't making a, an argument for either one of those. You can't live at the extreme of just more, 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 more. And he isn't saying that you shouldn't have anything either. He's saying... Find the balance. 
It's not about fast or slow. It's not about big or small. It's not about fancy or simple to him. It's about balance. It's a mixture of getting all that you need, but also needing all that you get. Again, it's that Goldilocks principle. Finding what is just right. What is the sweet spot for you? What's interesting is where he writes here about, you know, give me enough to satisfy my needs. Some English translations, they actually translate it as, give me my daily bread. Now, where have you heard that before? Give me my daily bread. From where? Yeah, the Lord's Prayer. Now, we've talked about the Lord's Prayer before. Again, the Lord's Prayer isn't something that you're supposed to pray. The Lord's Prayer is Jesus' model of how to pray. And at one point, Jesus says that, look, every single day you should be praying, God, give to me this day my daily bread. Now, where Jesus was taking that from and where Augur got that type of language actually traces back to the Old Testament. You remember the Jewish people, after they were freed from captivity in Egypt, they were wandering around in the desert for 40 years. How do you feed over a million people in the desert for 40 years? Well, it's going to have to be a miracle, and a miracle indeed did take place. See, God, every morning, He would make manna, which is the bread of God. He would make manna come raining down from the sky. And so they would get up in the morning and they were to go out and they were collect enough just for their daily bread. God said, only get what you need for today. Now, what did they do? They wanted to live at the extremes, didn't they? And so what did they, they start like, oh, more, 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 more. Guess what happened as they slept that night? It all spoiled. It was no good. Again, God was teaching him this principle that, look, I will provide exactly what you need. Including the day before the Sabbath, they were told, okay, on that day, don't just collect what you need for today. God said, collect what you need for two days. That way on the Sabbath day, you don't have to go out and do any work. You already have it. And he promised that that would not spoil. So it's this neat principle. Not too much. Not too little. But every single day, He gave them what was just right. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, Augur, he actually takes it one step further. I don't know if you noticed the language that he used, but he said, give me just enough to satisfy my needs. Just enough. See, most of the time when you and I, we pray things like, God, give me my daily bread, what we're saying is, God, here's the very minimum that I need. Here's my basic needs. God, provide at least that. But God, I am open to so much more. Throw open the floodgates of heaven, pour out so much blessing on me that I won't even have room enough to contain it all. God, just keep blessing. Give, give, give. I'm here, God. Meet my needs, but give me so much more. But Augur says, you know what? God, no, 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 no. Give me just enough for today. Not too little, not too much. Give me what is just right. Just enough. That's amazing. Now, why in the world would he pray something like that? Well, Augur has two reasons. Verse 9, he says, for if I grow rich, I may deny you and say, who is the Lord? And if I'm too poor, I may steal and thus insult God's holy name. He knows that, look, if we have too much, we're going to take credit for it ourselves and we'll eventually deny that we even know God. 
But if we have too little in life, we may start to resort to a life of crime and thus dishonor God's name. And so he's praying, God, help my cash flow to be just right. Help me to live in the sweet spot when it comes to my possessions and my goods and my finances. Now, I know some people, and I hear this thing more and more from people, they go, oh, I hate money. I hate money. I don't want to have anything to do with money. I hate it. And besides, doesn't the Bible say that, 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 that the love of money or that, that money is the root of all evil? But it doesn't say that money is the root of all evil. Here's what Paul actually writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. I already spoiled it. He says, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil and trouble. Some people who want money so much that they have given up their faith and it's caused themselves a lot of pain. Augur knew a thousand years before even Paul wrote those words that in essence, we need to be in the sweet spot when it comes to finances. It can't be too much. We can't live at the extremes. That we need to be 100% dependent on God every single day. We need to find balance. We need to find contentment. And you know, that word contentment, that, that is a theme that we find throughout, especially the New Testament. Look at what Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4, verse 12. He says, I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're going, you know, we're all this talks of, you know, not living at extremes of like, being just right, like right down the middle. Isn't that like boring? Isn't that like predictable? Very safe, very comfortable, very vanilla? Where's going to be the, the, the sense of adventure? When, when am I ever going to have like an adrenaline rush? Where's the passion going to come from? Well, the answer is actually found in the very next verse. Philippians 4.13. Many of you know this verse. Paul writes, For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. I want everybody to say that out loud. At home, as you're watching, say that out loud. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Think about that. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Does that sound boring? Does that sound safe? Does that sound predictable? No. No, it doesn't at all. But remember, Paul writes those words immediately after saying that he had learned the secret. And it is being content. He's basically saying, look, I, I found the launch pad for doing amazing things for Jesus. And the launch pad is you've got to learn to be content. He says, look, it's not about chasing after more. And it's not about having nothing either. It's learning that in life, no matter what I have, no matter where I find myself, that I should be content right then and right there. And if God provides more, great. And I'll be content with that. And if God takes some away because I'm becoming conceited or I'm trusting in myself more, I'm going to be fine with that as well. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away, as Job said. You know, the best part of having an attitude like that is the confidence that it gives you to explore new ways to make a difference for Jesus. Because see now, whether you have a lot or you have a little, you don't really care if you have a lot or a little. And so you can try things. You can do things for Jesus that you wouldn't have done otherwise. You can dream new dreams. You can explore life without the, the fear of success or the fear of failure because you're trusting that God loves me the same whether I have a lot 
or whether I have a little. And he's going to continue to provide for me whether I have a lot or I have a little. And he'll take away if I have a lot and it's hurting me. And he'll give me more if I need it. It's this, this contentment. That's where God wants us to live. Listen, God is not impressed by the car that you drive. He's not impressed by your washboard abs. He's not in, impressed by your buttons of steel. He's not impressed by your corner office that you have. He's not impressed by your crocheting. He's not impressed by your athletic prowess. He's not impressed by your memorabilia collection that you have. And at the same token, God isn't disappointed because you have some dust bunnies underneath the sofa. He's not disappointed in you because you have a little bit of rust on your car or that your kid didn't get into the college that they apply for. None of that matters when it comes to God. His love for you doesn't change. What matters to Him is, are you in a relationship with Him and are you living smack dab in the sweet spot? Not too much. Not too little. Not extreme this way. Not extreme that way. But everything is just right. So we've got to live in the sweet spot. And Augur today, he gave us two things that he said will keep us from doing that. One is deception and lies. And so we got to keep our eyes and our ears away from deception. And we got to keep our mouth from deceiving others. And he says the, the other thing we got to do is we got to learn the secret of being content. We've got to learn the Goldilocks principle. Not too much, not too little, but everything just right. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day and we thank you for the, the wisdom from Augur and just a little short chapter of the Bible. And again, Lord, I'm just so encouraged that we really didn't even know his name until today, but yet you used him to help write your word. And so, Lord, help us to realize that no matter who we are, no matter what we've done, if we have asked for your forgiveness and we've asked for your leadership in our lives, if we have that ongoing relationship with you, Yes, we may be ordinary people, but God, you can use us to do extraordinary things. And so, Lord, I just pray that each and every one of us would be living in the sweet spot. That, that Lord, we wouldn't go off to extremes either way, whether it comes to our finances or our politics or our just personal opinions, that, that Lord, we would learn what your word has to say and we would, we would live our lives in accordance to your word. Not what we want, not our will be done, but Lord, your will be done in everything. So Jesus, keep our ears, keep our eyes away from all these crazy conspiracy theories. Lord, help us not to buy into those things. And Father, I pray that we wouldn't then deceive others by sharing those things we would be looking to your word and filtering everything through your word. Because again, your word is truth. Your word is Jesus. So Jesus, we want more of you in our lives because we realize the more of you we have in our lives, the less of all the other junk is going to come out. And that we will truly shine bright for you in anything and in everything. 
And Lord, I, I pray for contentment for each and every one of us as well. That, Lord, in the areas that we do need more, you would provide that. In the areas where maybe we've become too conceited with, with our wealth, that, Lord, you would take it away. Lord, help us to, to only ask for just enough for today. And Lord, help us to know that when we're living in faith like that, that you are going to, again, use us to do great and mighty things for you. Because we're proving that we trust you in all things. You're going to look and go, ah, there's somebody that I can use. Because their faith is fully in me. So Lord, I pray that for everybody here in the room, everybody that's online, everybody that will be watching this in the future. Help us to live right smack dab in the center of your will. Right in the sweet spot. I pray all this in Jesus' name.